For a reading today, I'm going to read a story to you out of one of my books. Um, these are very short, so don't worry. It's called Love Not Fear is Spoken Here. This is from the book called Waking Up the Karma Fairy. It was around Christmas time, and I was horsing around in the kitchen with my first grade son. I had a candy cane in my hand. Mom! Do you know what that candy cane makes when you turn it upside down? It's the letter J. So it is, I said. Do you know what the J stands for, Mom? I was beginning to sense the direction this conversation was going. We live in South Carolina. The letter J only stands for one thing. Jesus, he crowed. Cool, I said. And Mom, do you know what the red is for? No. He doesn't go to a church that would go there with candy canes, not with the children. What does the red stand for, baby? His blood. And the stripes? No. They stand for the stripes on his skin after they whipped him. This was not from church, not at Christmas time. Honey, where did you hear this? At school. Was it from your teacher? (laughs) For some reason, my teeth were clenching together. No, from Christopher's mom. She was at the Christmas party at school, and she gave out candy canes and told us the story. I called the teacher, who said she'd been horrified too, but she hadn't known how to stop the mother in mid-story. This wasn't the first time that strong odors of evangelical churchianity had come wafting over to our house from school. There was the teacher who sang at the end of the year talent show about how Jesus helped her teaching. And there was the second grade boy who sang a song at the Christmas school show about how you had better be saved because soon it was all going to be over. And if you didn't have Jesus, you're going to hell. Another Christmas, someone invited a puppeteer to come to a Christmas potluck at the Presbyterian church I used to go to. She came dressed in white robes, and she had a lilting, sing-songy voice. If she'd have been blonde, she'd have looked like Glinda, the Good Witch of the North. Her puppets were cute, and they told the kids to be honest and loving. At the end of the show, she came out from behind the puppet theater with a great big book in her hand. Children, do you know what book this is? The Bible, said the alert and innocent Presbyterian children. No, it's the book of life, she said. If your name is written on this side, she gestured with a graceful hand, you go to heaven to live with Jesus. But... I heard a scritch-scratching sound like a match being struck. The entire left side of the book burst into flames, and she held it there, burning without being consumed, some prop made for a children's show out of fire gel. If your name is written on this side, her voice grew low and sorrowful, you go to burn in hellfire forever. (laughs) The parents stood frozen. She invited the children to come forward and kneel for a prayer for the salvation of their souls from hell. To their credit, the parents moved in with their children, arms around them, kneeling beside them for the duration of the prayer. I like to think that if I had been the woman then that I am now, I would have done something. 
In the movie I play in my mind of how it should have been, the scene goes into slow motion as the page burns in flames. I stride out of the crowd of parents toward her, and I see that three more parents are with me. One of them distracts the kids as I snatch the flaming prop from her hands and snap it shut, tossing it off into a corner of the room where it skids to a stop against the wall. Two others take her arms and walk her out the door into the December evening. The stars shine clear and bright in the silent night as we set the puppet gear down in the parking lot. We look up at the sky and breathe in the light. The children laugh inside the warm building. We must insist, love, not fear, is spoken here. Love, not fear, is spoken here. Love, not fear, is spoken here. I'm going to claim the privilege of the visiting minister and change the order around just a little bit, where I would like for us to have our time of silence first, and then I will lead us out of the silence in a um, Buddhist loving-kindness meditation that we practice at the UU Church of Spartanburg, South Carolina, from whom I bring you greetings. So let us now enter into a time of silence together for meditation and for prayer, where we speak to God as we understand God, or we listen to the wisdom that is within us. In doing either of those things, and many more, we breathe on that spark of the divine that, as Unitarian Universalists, we believe lives in the heart of every person. Let us now enter into the wise silence together. From the Buddhist tradition, I'll say the first, I will say the line first, and you say it after me as you choose to. The first time through, we pray this for ourselves. May I be free from danger. May I be mentally happy. May I be physically happy. May I have ease. Of well being. The second time through, we pray it for someone we love. May you be free from danger. May you be mentally happy. May you be physically happy. May you have ease of well being. Final time through, we pray it as a spiritual stretch for someone uh, against whom we have a resentment, someone who has hurt our feelings, somebody we're mad at. For many people, again, this is a prayer for themselves. May you be free from danger. May you be mentally happy. May you be physically happy. May you have ease of well-being. May it be so. And next, uh, instead of our hymn, which we'll have at the end of the offertory, I'm going to sing you a song that ha- that is actually the first part of my sermon.
I wrote this song for my congregation on the occasion of their 50th anniversary. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine who is a cooperative Baptist, which is a liberal Southern Baptist denomination, and we were having lunch. I said, Randy, I just feel like I've been having mango thoughts in a meatloaf town. And then I thought, that's a song. Here's how it goes. Well, I am so glad I found you. I was out here all alone. Couldn't find a single church where I could feel at home. I was just amazed to see that you'd been here for so long. I'm grateful that you persevered, so I wrote you all this song. I was thinking mango thoughts in a meatloaf town. The food for thought was all the same, it really brought me down. Nothing on the heavenly buffet line was satisfying my appetite for truth and light. I'd sit in church just sighing Everybody else seemed fine With blue jello and green peas Banana pudding, nothing spicy No blintzes, no Vietnamese I was craving jalapeno talk Just to soothe my soul Saying unsurprising things was taking all my self-control. I am glad the talk is straight here, though a lot of the people are not. We've got patriots and protesters, and that ain't all we got. Atheists and redneck Hindus. We've got pagan Buddhist Jews. Some of us love the Christian songs, and some just believe the blues. Yeah, I was thinking mango thoughts in this meatloaf town. Now my soul is on a roll. I got you, yous all around. We got us a feast for the spirit and a feast for the mind. We speak the truth. We walk in love, we remember to be kind. And that's how the song might end if I were a sweet and earnest minister. Lord knows I try. Now here's the real ending. We got us a feast for the spirit and a feast for the mind. But in case of rapture, pack a snack, cause we'll be left behind. So what is that rapture anyway? People believe that the world is going to end soon. A lot of people. They believe that all the Christians will be taken up 
into heaven, you can get postcards of skyscrapers with little wispy ghosts coming out of the windows and cars crashing on the street below as their drivers are also raptured. Um, I was preaching in New York City last weekend, and I told them what I was going to be talking to you about, and somebody said, oh yeah, in the New York Times there was an article about how some people believe the honeybees are disappearing because they got raptured. If you had it in your power to begin the world over again, to just wipe out everything that was here and start again, would you do it? Some people are fixated on that idea. They really want to see the good people get their reward soon and the evil people get theirs, what's coming to them soon. They want to see the earth cleansed and all the problems solved. And it's not just fundamentalists or evangelical Christians. There are a lot of New Age people who, are, who see things as getting worse and worse and worse. And people who are worrying about the Mayan prophecies of, and that everything's going to end in 2012, I believe it is. And they see things getting worse and worse and worse, even though we have anesthesia for operations now and no child slavery in the United States, and uh, that we know of. Anyway, it's against the law. Um, (laughs) We have the vote for women. UU Church is growing. Um, Things are not all getting worse, but a lot of people want to see that, and they want to see things digressing toward an eventual doom scenario, a cataclysmic end of the world, and it's very, they get a gleam in their eye, almost a, a joyful gleam, talking about how the world is going to end. My dad was big on this, is still big on this. He's in his 80s, and you can hardly have a conversation with him uh, without him saying, well, cheer up, Maggie. Before that happens, maybe Jesus will come back. And it just it seems so much to me to be um, sanctified suicidal ideation <laughs> that I lose patience with it. And my sister's mad at me right now. She lives in Fort Worth. She's mad at me a little bit because I said to my dad, Nobody's coming back. It's not going to end. We're just going to go on and on and on. We better deal with that. And he said to me, it's very unscientific to claim a negative. You can't prove a negative. (laughs) You're saying to me the rapture's coming and you're talking to me about being unscientific? (laughs) What I need you to know is this. Human beings have had apocalyptic writings. Apocalyptic is from the Greek meaning hidden things revealed. Human beings have had apocalyptic writings about the end of days since there was writing. The Egyptians have apocalyptic writings. The Akkadians had apocalyptic writings. The Jews have apocalyptic writings in the Hebrew scriptures, especially in the books of Ezekiel and Daniel, where you see the wheels within wheels and the chariots with the wheels. How many of y'all grew up in church where this kind of thing was taught? Anybody? Yeah, some of y'all have relatives that are in churches like that. They are sure that the end is going to come because here's how the writings sound. I want to read to you a little bit of how they sound. And these writings are allegories, which means that 
everything in the writing has an equivalency in our world. And it depends on the interpreter of those writings what you think it means. So when I say, I saw a fig tree, and you say, oh yes, the fig tree is the state of Israel. Then we go, okay, now let's go from there. That's what, we'll get to that in a minute. Here's from Daniel, just a little bit from the book of Daniel in the Hebrew scriptures. Daniel dreams of four great beasts coming from the sea. First was like a lion with eagle's wings, and then its wings were plucked off, and it stood like a man and was given the mind of a man. And the second beast was like a bear, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And the third was like a leopard with four wings and a bird on its back with four heads, and dominion was given to it. And the fourth had iron teeth and devoured and stamped things to pieces, and it had ten horns, and among them was a little horn. And the Ancient of Days took his seat on a throne, and the books were opened. And the Son of Man came, and the Ancient of Days gave him dominion and glory. And Daniel was told that the fourth beast was a great kingdom that would rule the earth, and ten kings will arise, and after them a king who will put down three kings and speak against the Most High, and will wear out the saints of the Most High, and shall think to change the times and the law. All right, that's kind of how it goes. Very dreamlike. And every single religion has these. People who dream dreams of the end of times. Anybody who tries to predict when it's going to happen looks stupid when it doesn't happen. There are groups that were sure it was going to happen in the 1800s sometime. They, they went up on a hill and left all their belongings at the house and even their clothes at the house and went skyclad up onto the hill waiting for Jesus to take them. I don't know why they thought their clothes would be in the way. <laughs> but then the, the, they waited all night like this. I'm not sure what they talked about. Then the morning came and they were like, well, shall we go back to the house? (laughs) Sociologists study groups like this, just by the way, and they find what happens to them when their prophecy does not come true is not that they get discouraged and go join the Unitarian Universalist Church. They actually start evangelizing more. Hard to say why. So this, th- that's the flavor of the scriptures that these people are trying to interpret. Interpreters in every single age have found things that correspond to the allegories they read. In every age. The, the, um, the Jews in the time of Jesus thought that Daniel and Ezekiel were talking about the occupation of the Roman Empire. And that Messiah was going to come and that uh, the the end was going to happen um, because of the Roman Empire. Then their temple got destroyed. In Jerusalem, you know, the temple was destroyed in the year 70 of the Common Era. And all the Jews were dispersed into the diaspora. That's why we call it the diaspora. Jews were all over the Mediterranean and in England and Europe and everywhere else other than Israel. Not too many were left in the land of Israel, which was then called Palestine. So the problem with that 
was that most of the prophecies talked about Israel playing an important part in the end of times. But, um, so the, the, the Christian scripture writers felt like they were in the end of times as well, and they wrote down that Jesus said, of course we don't know what he really said, but they wrote down that he said, um, not a generation will pass, this generation will not pass until these things have been fulfilled. He said something about the fig tree will bud and then this generation. So they thought he was talking about this in the spring, the fig tree will bud and then this generation won't, um, won't die before all these things have been fulfilled. But then they all did die. And then there was no Israel anymore. So what do you do? Well, Martin Luther in the 1500s interpreted all the allegories to mean that he was going to see Jesus come back, which is called the second coming. He was going to see the rapture, but he died. Sir Isaac Newton, the British scientist who discovered gravity, after he did that, he spent the rest of his career deeply digging into the scriptures, trying to figure out when the end was going to come, and writing theses about when the end was going to come. And most theologians of his time agreed that as a theologian, he was a pretty good scientist. <laughs> when the Europeans came to North America, they had this book. I'm going to hold a Bible, I'm going to wave it around, and I'm even going to read from it for you, but I'm not going to tell you you're going to hell, so just you can relax and trust me. They had this book firmly fixed in their mind. Because you know what they called America? The New World. You know what they called it? The Promised Land. You know what they called it? The New Israel. Okay, so if you think you're God's chosen people, how are you going to treat the people who were there before you? Slaughter and mayhem. Because how did the Hebrew people treat the people that were in Palestine before them? They said, get out here. This is our promised land. If you don't get out, we're going to slaughter you. And sometimes they just slaughtered them anyway. The way we treated the native peoples comes directly from a belief in the end of times that those people had who came over here to found the new Israel. And they thought, now that Israel is founded again, Jesus can come back, and well, all the righteous people will be rewarded. But then they died. Now, that belief has remained at the core of American self-understanding. We are God's chosen people. You can hear that on any TV preacher's show. And they think that and they'll, they'll talk about the Jews being God's chosen people, too. You would think, and some people think, that evangelical or fundamentalist Christians are going to be anti-Semitic, but they're not. They are taught to love Jewish people, and that whoever is good to the Jews, God will be good to them. So all the evangelical and fundamentalist churches are extremely pro-Israel. I don't know if you wondered why or not, but they're all pro-Israel because of the end-time belief. This has affected our not only our policy toward the Native Americans, but it's affecting our policy, foreign policy, and our nuclear policy, and our policy toward Israel right now. That's why I want you to know about it. We're in a war that has a lot to do with our leaders' beliefs in this end-time prophecy. 
Um, by 1948, it was a little bit getting harder to see America as the shiny new Israel. And so Israel was founded in 1948. You know what led up to it? British politicians who believed in this wanted Israel to be founded. Earl of Shaftesbury, his name was Anthony Copper, Lord Anthony Copper, Earl of Shaftesbury, argued in 1839 that the Jews must be returned to Palestine before the second coming. And so he convinced his government to put a consulate in Jerusalem. This is end-time belief affecting national politics, international politics. So the consulate is in Jerusalem, and the person they sent to be the consul in Jerusalem, um, I think his name was Lord Beaverbrook, I'm not sure, but they sent him, and he was a person who believed that the Jews were God's chosen protected people, and that the founding of a state in Israel would bring Jesus back. And so his mandate from the British government was to look over and protect the 10,000 Jews that were living in Israel at that time um, under the Ottoman rule, the rule of the Turks. Um, In 1891, 400 business and religious leaders in America signed a letter urging President Harrison to support the establishment of a Jewish homeland in Palestine. Did they write President Harrison that letter because they thought the Jews needed a homeland? No. They did it because they believed that the Jews had to be back in Palestine in a a country called Israel before Jesus would come back. When the nation of Israel was established in 1948, all the biblical prophecy people went nuts. And they said, okay, Jesus said uh, there's a, the budding of the fig tree and there won't be a generation that'll pass. So let's give it 40 years. Let's say 40 years is a generation. And um, so it's 1948 plus 40 is 1988. Okay, the world's going to end in 1988. A lot of people thought that. I don't know if you remember. Other people said, no, no, um, we think the budding of the fig tree is when the, uh, the Israeli army took over the old city of Jerusalem in 1967. So that's the budding of the fig tree. So 67 plus 40 is 2007, and then you back out the uh, seven years of tribulation that are also prophesied, and you get the year 2000. Ooh. (laughs) Y'all remember Y2K? People said everything's going to be blowing up and exploding as the computers, the planes are going to be falling out of the sky, and people are stockpiling water, and uh, nothing much happened. It was a little blip. It came and went, as do all the prophesied dates. All of them. Including the Mayan 2012. You'll probably in the checkout line see the star. Um, the star this week has uh, uh, ancient unearthed writings of Black Elk and some guy named Iron Bear that nobody's ever heard of. Um, uh, they prophesy that gas prices will go up and then the end will come. I'm like, I don't think they had cars when Black Elk... Never mind. (laughs) So, did I tell you we had a bumper sticker? You know, there's this bumper sticker that says, in case of rapture, this car will be driverless. We have a bumper sticker in Spartanburg that says, in case of rapture, can I have your car? (laughs) 
When I was living in Jerusalem, I lived there for six months to learn Hebrew because I had to to be a Presbyterian minister. They speak Hebrew and Greek. And um, so I thought I would learn it there and have some fun while I was doing it. So uh, when I was in Israel, I used to travel around by myself, and I would attach myself to traveling groups, which were mostly evangelical groups, um, who were taking the tour of the Holy Land. And, um, and the ministers would almost always say, Now, friends, when we get home, if we need our return tickets. They would always say that, just smiling like they really wanted everybody to die in fire while they were there. Because it's in fire that it says, this is uh, 2 Peter 3, it talks about a burning day. And um, I'm going to find it here for you. 2 Peter 3, 10. It says, The day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a loud noise, and the elements will be dissolved with fire, and the earth and the works that are upon it will be burned up. A long time ago, back in the day, they didn't know how that could happen. They thought maybe the earth, the core of the earth would explode or something. But man, with the invention of nuclear power, Technology caught up to prophecy, and then they were all about nuclear holocaust, all about it. Armageddon is going to be a nuclear war. You know, you have some preachers that believe in that. It's no big deal. But when you have government officials who believe in that, literally, and who look forward to it happening, that's a little scary. This is the reason why Unitarian Universalists need to know this stuff that I'm telling you. Because we have had governments for a while. For example, Truman wrote in his journal. He said, maybe this A-bomb stuff is, uh, is the burning day uh, prophesied in, in the Bible. Reagan and his whole administration was extremely interested in the nuclear Armageddon, and they thought it was going to happen. Reagan would just talk about it, kind of musing, even to reporters. Yeah, yeah, I think the end is coming. Caspar Weinberger was asked about it in 1982. He said, well, I hope that it doesn't happen by the hand of man, but uh, it looks like time's running out. James Watt, the Interior Secretary in that administration, was asked, you know, how are you going to preserve the forests for coming generations? And he said to the reporter... I'm just not sure how many generations they're going to be before the end, before the Lord comes back. Our current president, that uh, Connecticut boy who pretends to be from Texas, <laughs> he and his administration are literally believers in this stuff too. Literally. And so when you have someone who is going to war in the area of prophecy, which is the Middle East, that is the area about which all these prophecies are, are they're concerned. And you have people warning, warning, this could create a nuclear Armageddon. They go, yeah, it could. You got to have the Armageddon and then comes the good stuff. Then all the believers go up into heaven. And all the non-believers stay. I'm in New Hampshire a couple weeks ago, a couple months ago, and I'm listening to the radio, and there's this preacher on there, and a lady calls, and she goes, I'm really worried about what's going to happen to my dog when I'm raptured. 
My dog is going to be there in the house all by himself. Who's going to help him? And the preacher says, ma'am, you'll have some kind neighbors, I'm sure, who are unbelievers, and they'll take care of him for you (laughs) before they go burn in hell. So I think it's important that we know about it. Um, I think it's important that we know that people who believe the end is coming any time don't behave in a caretaking way. They say things like, why do maintenance on a building that's condemned? They say things like, I've come here to fish, not clean the fish bowl. They say things like, why worry about it? There will never be peace. Don't worry about peace. Don't work for peace. The world is going to end with a nuclear war, so we're headed toward it. That's all good. We get to go be with God. Mm. We need to know about this stuff, and we need to know enough to say, you have to know that every single person from Jesus through Martin Luther through Hal Lindsey in the 80s through people now believe it's going to happen in their Lifetime, and they have all been wrong. We, as religious liberals, have to say it is possible that this world is going to go on and on and on. Shall we behave as if it were? You know, people say, act as if each day were your last. But I'm thinking, that makes a person tired. (laughs) Nobody can live with that much intensity. A person needs a little downtime. Sure, you should tell people you love them. Yes, you should take the trips you want to take if you can afford it. Yes. But know that the world is going to go on and on and on and on and on. You're going to end. That's what they're all talking about, really. Oh, my goodness, I'm going to end. What an apocalypse. Well, yeah, it will be for you. (laughs) But everybody else is going to keep going, and then there are going to be new people coming in. Babies going to be born. And it's not going to happen in their lifetime either. We need to get a little mouthier, my friends. We need to know that everybody is scared about this. People around us are literally scared about this. They read the Left Behind books and they worry. They worry about their, their relatives. They do things like throw their gay children out of the house to shake them up and get, them, get their soul ready in time. So Jesus won't come back while they're still gay? It really is a destructive and oppressive and scary belief for so many people. We have good news. We have the gospel, my friends. We have good news. There ain't no hell and nobody's coming back. It's going to go on and on and on and you will die. God bless you. And so will I. Let's deal with that. Love, not fear is spoken here. Love, not fear, is spoken here.